Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and then if you would please stand to honor God's word as we read it. Luke chapter 5 and verse number 33. On Sunday nights, we are working our way through the book of Luke. And this is message number 39, I believe, chapter 5. Luke 5.33. And so remember, just, just for the sake of the context and where it's going, remember that He's already dealt with the religious leaders in healing the man that was lame. They said, who is this that forgives sins? And, and then he calls Matthew, who was a public and a tax collector, and their criticism of him was, what are you doing having anything to do with this man? And so you understand that they don't get Jesus and what he's all about. And that is going to become more obvious in this question that we read in verse number 33 and in his response through the remainder of the chapter. And they said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast? While the bridegroom is with them, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old, if otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. So the title is this, Religious Motion versus Real Transformation. Religious motion versus real transformation. Father, it's good to be here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. The assembly is already wonderful, and I'm grateful for your people and for your love for us. Would you please help us to tune in and to be responsive to what you have to say to us? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. There are two different reasons in two different ways, actually, motives for asking a question. Sometimes you ask a question because you really, you really are trying to understand. You're trying to understand where a person's coming from. You're trying to understand some type of process or some type of logic. You're trying to understand something or make sure that you understand something or on the same page. But then you, there, there's another way of asking a question, and that way is not because you want to be informed. It's because you want to catch someone in a trap, you want to ensnare them, you want to prove them wrong. And so you're trying 
to find out ways to set them up. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, and if you've read through the life of Christ at all, you realize that Jesus was constantly being questioned by people who wanted to undermine his work and who wanted to disprove his claim that he was the Messiah, that he was, that he is the eternal Son of God. And that's a similar situation as to what is happening here. They reflect those people who are, are either undecided about him or who are very skeptical and very critical of him in spite of all of the evidence that he is giving that he is indeed who he says he is. And so they ask him about this issue of fasting. Now just understand, you, you know this, but fasting has to do with, in, in this situation, and, and then today for us, it has to do with setting aside food, setting aside drink, and then sometimes people will fast from other things, but for the purpose of giving extra attention, very concentrated attention to seeking God. And so when someone just wants to grow in their spiritual walk, they'll set aside time that today I'm going to skip this meal and I'm going to devote that lunch hour. I'm just going to devote that to some extra Bible reading and to some prayer. Or maybe if someone's going through a trial and there's a loved one who is sick and you say, God, I'm really asking that you'll work in this situation. I'm going to go for these days or I'm needing your wisdom. I'm needing your help. God, I'm, I'm wanting to... Anyone who would say, God, I'm wanting to interact with you at a higher level than I currently have been, or God, I am genuinely desiring that you would see the earnestness of my request, so I'm going to set aside the food. I'm going to set aside that which I desire. I'm going to set aside that which I crave, and I'm going to devote myself during that time to increased and more intensive efforts to pray and to seek your face. Fasting for the purpose of seeking God is a good thing. Fasting for the purpose of seeking God is a good thing. We practice that here at West Valley. For those who've been here for any length of time, you know that there will be a couple of times of year where I don't demand, I don't get sign-up sheets, I don't check in on people, but I ask people on certain days for certain reasons, let's together as a church family fast over this. Let's make sure that we're, we're having a right heart about this. Let's seek God together for this. Fasting for the purpose of knowing him and seeking his face, pursuing him exclusively without any distraction, that is a good thing. We're introduced to two different groups who practice fasting. One for a good reason, the other never for a good reason, as far as we can tell based on what's recorded in Scripture. The first group in verse number 33 are the disciples of John. Now you've got to understand that there was a transitionary period where the disciples of John may not have fully comprehended all that Jesus was. And so you remember that Jesus, as he, or excuse me, John, as he was baptizing, sees Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God takes away, that takes away the sin of the world. But later, when John's in prison, he sends his disciples, those who had followed him, he says, go to him and ask him, are you the one that we've been looking for? Or should we, or should we look for another? So even John's disciples had to go, had to come to a point where they recognize we're no longer waiting for the Messiah to arrive. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so they had to themselves come to faith. And so there would have been times as they were going through that, that they would have fasted seeking God and wanting to understand that. But then we talk about the Pharisees. And as Jesus exposed this over and over and over again, 
they fasted not for the purpose of genuinely seeking God, but this is important to the point. They didn't fast to seek God. They fasted so that people would perceive them as being godly. No, they weren't as the religious establishment, as the religious rulers, as the, as the cultural trendsetters of, Jewish, of, the, of that Jewish day, as the ones who had authority and power to elevate people or to put people down, as, as those who were very rich both in resources and political influence and power, they, they did not fast for the purpose of walking with God. They fasted in such a way that other people would know about it and would then look at that motion and say, they're fasting, they must be godly. And so these critics of Jesus or these inquisitors of Jesus are coming to him and saying, hey, these two groups fast and then we're focusing in on the Pharisees. These Pharisees fast. Why, why is it that, that your disciples, Jesus, don't fast? Because obviously this motion makes them more spiritual. That's what's going on. Look again at verse number 33. I want to make sure you see this. Why? Do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but dine, eat, and drink. You see, even, even the Pharisees that you have these confrontations with, they fast, they fast, and they go without food, and they pray, and they see God, they have this motion. But you guys are over here, and you're eating, and you're drinking. You are not fasting. You don't have the same religious motion. Obviously, these guys are more spiritual. Why are they more spiritual? Because they fast, and you don't. They're more spiritual. And we know that, we know that there's criticism in it because of the way that Jesus responds. And he responds to two things. Number one, he responds to their ignorance. And then he responds to their arrogance. First of all, their ignorance. He deals this with this example of a bride waiting for the bridegroom, a, a to be a wife waiting for her husband to arrive. And he said unto them in verse 34, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. So he, he's just exposing how illogical their statement is. And, and their expectation is, again, remember, you don't need to fast for God if God is walking with you. Okay, here was the, look, he's already demonstrated it. Remember the one that was born of four, sick of the palsy? Son, thy, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. You know what he proved? I'm not just a dude, I'm God in flesh. I'm the incarnate son of God. I am the eternal lamb of God. I am the almighty. I am the self-existent one. Before Abraham was, I am. I'm God. You don't have to fast for God when you're eating fish with God on the banks. I'm not trying to be silly or irreverent here. He's just making the point. Now, this is one of the first references, and this, this has to do with his preparation of the, the the disciples, his disciples, but this is one of the first references to the fact that one day he was going to be taken away. He was going to be crucified. He was going to rise again. He was going to ascend. But even, even though subtly he was trying to prepare his disciples, though they missed it, 
for the fact that he wasn't always going to be with them in this way and in this fashion. So dealing with the question of those that were criticizing him, he's exposing their lack of common sense. And the reason they were ignorant is because they refused to acknowledge who he was. Side note, when you get a right view of God, your view of a whole lot of other stuff begins to clear up. And in fact, all of the craziness that we see going on in our culture can be traced back to what the Bible declares in Romans 1, that when you deny the knowledge of God, you begin to lose clarity about everything else that seems to be so common and should be so obvious. Why? Because when you have a right view of God, you understand other things as well. That was their ignorance. But then he deals with their arrogance, and he does so by telling a, giving them a parable. Basically, it's this. You think that you're more spiritual. You think that you are superior because of your religious motions. Now, don't misunderstand this, and and we'll deal with this in the application. Jesus is not critical of the motion of fasting. What he is critical of and what he is trying to confront in these people and to protect his followers from is this idea that it's the religious motion that makes me spiritual. So Jesus gives this parable and he deals with three objects. A new patch on an old garment, new wine in old bottles, and drinking the old before the new. So when you, with the material that they would have used in that day, when you take a new patch, you put it, it has this elasticity and this flexibility to it, but when it's attached to an old garment, it can tear the old garment because that old garment has worn out and it no longer has that same level of flexibility in it. And then you notice this, if you've ever patched up blue jeans or something like that, you notice that the patch looks out of place. It obviously does not, was not a part of the original. And so he's simply saying that a new patch on an old garment, and, and we'll talk about what this means. A new patch on an old garment, it looks out of place, and it can end up tearing the old garment. Then he talks about new wine and old bottles. The, the bottles would be some type of animal skin that would be prepared and prepped and go through this process, and then it would, it would hold water. So today we use water bottles made out of metal. Man, one of the most annoying things at a youth camp is metal water bottles clanging on a concrete floor in the middle of a sermon. Clink, 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 clink. Okay, the other thing is funny, but anyway. We're not, we're not talking about that kind of bottle, but we're talking about some type of material or animal skin. Also, please understand this, when we talk about wine, there is obviously reference here to a fermentation process. Jesus is using this as an example to something that they would understand, to to a process that they they would understand in that day. I've talked about this before, I'm not re-preaching this right now. The fermentation processes of those days were different than the ones today that are intentionally meant to maximize every bit of alcoholic potential within a drink and to cause inebriation and to cause you to lose the ability to function. You've got to, some people would look at this and see, man, Jesus is all for us going out and having a drink. You ought to consider all the other passages where Jesus warns against it, both Old and New Testament as well. But he's just using something that they can relate to. So when you take, when you take juice 
and you put it into, you take the fruit of the vine and you put it into these bottles, they would leave it there for a time. And over that process, that as, as that juice transformed and it fermented to whatever degree it did, it would expand. The gases in it would expand and it would cause that material to expand. So then what he's saying is if you take this new, you take new juice, you take new wine, you take this new fruit of the vine, and you put it into an old bottle that's already been through this expanding process, it's already been through this process where it's expanded and it's been stretched, you put this new stuff in, it's going to expand beyond its capacity to maintain its integrity, and it's going to burst, and you're going to lose all of that, you're going to lose all of that juice, you're going to lose all of that wine, you're going to lose all of that liquid. All of it's going to be lost. And then he says this. No man also having drunk in verse 39. Old wine straightway desireth new. For he saith the old is better. You, many of you have this habit. Raising your children. We're going to eat the vegetables. Before we eat the ice cream. Because you know. When they start getting that candy and those sweets in their belly. They don't want the better stuff. No, it's not that the new isn't better, and it's not that the new, in the context of this, wasn't good for them. The problem was they were satisfied to just continue to eat in the old process and drink of the old methods and do things the way that they had always done them, but because they were satisfying their appetites with the old, there was no interest in the new. So what's the connection of all of this? Remember, remember, remember that they have criticized Jesus through the lens of religious motion obviously that's flawed but they're looking at jesus and they're saying we have these processes of religious motion and you don't do it therefore you are not really spiritual you cannot possibly be sent from god and jesus comes onto the scene and he wants them to understand i didn't come to implement more and this is a strong word meaningless motion look i look i know it's i know it's warm i know it's a long day but that ought to bother you the possibility that motion can be meaningless jesus did not come to implement more meaningless motion, more religious processes, more boxes for people to check, more rules for people to follow, more systems to be put in place whereby a select few could oppress with and maintain control over everyone else. Jesus didn't come to add patches to a broken system of religious oppression. Look, I know that's a strong statement, but you study out the Gospels and that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And then you look throughout the religious history post-Jesus Christ and you can see churches of every stripe and religious leaders across the board using the process and the authority of a church in order to oppress and to take advantage of people. This is not something new. It's been going on before Christ. It was going on in his day that we're going to use these systems. And because you don't fit into the motion of our system, you are not spiritual like us. And Jesus is saying to them, I didn't come to patch up what is a meaningless and broken system. I didn't come to throw a patch to your old garment. I came to give you a new garment. 
I didn't come to put some better juice or wine into your broken bottles. I came to give you a new bottle. I didn't come to develop a content to develop a, a better appetite for these old motions that you're really not that sincere about. You do them, as Jesus said, to be seen of men. You do them like the, like the Pharisee that was criticizing the public. And God, I thank thee that I'm not like him, but I fast twice a week and I do all these other things. I'm not here to improve upon or to make you comfortable in your continued use of religious motion to justify your hypocrisy. I am here to change your life. That's what he's after. I'm not after patching up the old. I'm after making you new. Jesus didn't come to save the pharisaical religious system. He came to fulfill the law. But what they were doing was not the law. They were perverting the law. You know what he came to do? Blow it up. You know what he came to do? Change people's lives. No, I don't think you get it. Maybe you do. Can I give you an example? Audrey, do you mind helping me? Okay, Audrey's a sweet kid, great young lady. I just, I want, I want you to see this. I love, I love the illustrations. Come up here with me. Just come stand up there. That's good. Get up there, Caleb. Get up there, Thomas. Let's go. A couple of... They're Pharisees right now. Get over there. All right. Come here, Audrey. No, no, don't face them. Face that way. You stand on this side. I'm just doing this for the first time, too. Sorry. You stand on this side. Jesus is there. I, I want you to get this. Jesus wasn't concerned with emotion. He was concerned with a relationship that changed lives. You don't fast. No, there will be a time for fasting, but you're not thinking. If you recognize that I was God, you would understand now's not the time for fasting. The time for fasting is coming. It, I'm, not, I'm not going to allow you to measure me by your meaningless motion that doesn't help anyone. It only oppresses people. So here come, and guys, you look nice. I need you to puff out your chest a little more. I know that's not your style, but I need you to bow up on me a little bit. Go ahead, Thomas. No. I need, no, get your hands out of your pocket. I'm glad that you're humble, but I need you to pretend to not be right now, okay? Get your shoulders back. Yeah. I need you to look down at me. Caleb, bow up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, look. Look. You ready? There's Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. We have this woman caught in adultery. Moses says she should be killed. Process. You know what, honestly, they weren't even concerned about the righteousness of the law. Because how, how did they catch her? It's quite possible it was a setup job that probably involved them. You know, it just said, okay, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. All right, you're out. Good job. See ya. No, not you. You're still here. Go away. And then Jesus asked this amazing question. Where are your accusers at? I know I'm not quoting it exactly. Does anyone condemn you? No man, Lord. And this is what he says to her. Neither do I condemn thee. You know what he's interested in? A relationship. For, for, that, for that woman, and, and 
and Audrey's just an example. Audrey's a great young lady. But for that, I just want you to see a living person. For, 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 for that lady, she had only ever had anybody interested in her for what they could get from her or how they could use her, even to ensnare Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to her and says, look, I don't need anything from you. I don't condemn you. I love you. But then he says this, and this is amazing. This gets left out. Go and sin no more. Get it. Please, no, no, no. Please get it. First, it's the relationship. I'm just demonstrating this. Audrey is my friend. Her dad's right here. This is literally what Jesus wants to do. He just wants to put your arm around you. I want you to know that I'm your savior. I want you to know that I'm your friend. I want you to know that you can never sin so much that I won't forgive you, that I won't save you, that I won't rescue you, that I won't restore you. I want a relationship with you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how many skeletons are in the closet. I want a relationship with you. I love it. I love it. I don't ever want to get over it. But I don't want a relationship for you, listen, so that you can just go out and keep living your life however you want. Because I didn't come to just throw a patch on you. All right, just go keep doing your thing. No, you're not saved by what you do. But your relationship with the Savior should change what you do. You can sit down, good job. Religious motion. Here's the statement. Religious motion without real transformation, is worthless. Religious motion without real transformation is worthless. Deal with a, a couple of things, and, and then we'll be done. Number one, number one, right religious motion is commanded and necessary. We can get into this ditch where it's like, yes, we just need to tear apart the system. There doesn't, there doesn't need to be any religious motion. There doesn't need to be any structure or any authority or any processes. No, we get the, we get the ideas and the, the blueprints for the processes from the word of God. Okay, for example, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves. This is God's idea. No, I understand it can be abused and manipulated, but this is God's idea, the assembly of the people. And then he says this, so much the more as you see the day approaching in a culture. And if you wonder why do we continue to have three, search, three services while the modern trend among emerging churches is to have fewer services, it's because Jesus himself said, you don't need less of it, you actually need more of it. No, we're not, don't worry, we're not having church Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but sometimes we do to have a special meeting. Listen, it's good to be here Sunday morning, and it's good to be here Sunday night, and it's good to be here on Wednesday night. It's not, it, listen, it may wear you out sometimes, and, and I understand nobody makes it every single service every single week, but you got to get this, the mentality of we just need less and we just want to be comfortable, that's not in the Bible. The process of assembly is right. The process of giving is right. Look, we don't, I do not talk about money a lot. If you've come for at least a month, you know I don't talk about money a lot. I just want to remind you of this. 
The idea of giving is God's idea. Not my idea. Have there been many leadership, church leaderships, that abuse the giving of God's people? Has that, come on, don't, don't be shy. Have they taken advantage of it? Have they manipulated it? Absolutely, a thousand percent. We set up, I thank God for the wisdom of our former pastor, and then for the processes that we have to make sure things are done in a way that is ethical and above board. But just because it's been abused doesn't mean the process itself is wrong. I'm just trying to protect us from going into the other ditch on this. Praying and praising and worshiping, being kind, telling people about Jesus. These aren't friendly suggestions. These are commands. Right religious motion is commanded and necessary. But here's where, we, here's where the rubber meets the road. They are not the greatest evidence of God at work in a person's life. The presence of religious motion in your life is not the greatest demonstration of God working in your life. Here's what the religious hypocrites and the ignorant were, here's how they were calculating this. I have this, I have this motion, I'm right with God. No, you have this motion, but at the same time, you're stealing from God's people. You have this motion, but at the same time, when you're not at the temple, when you're not at the synagogue, you're committing adultery. No, you have this motion, but at the same time, as you leave on your way to and on your way from, you're gossiping about people and you're criticizing people and you're tearing God's people down. No, at the same time that you have this motion, you are hiding attitudes of resentment and bitterness in your heart. Jesus did not come to entrench people in religious motion and then neglect their day-to-day life. Jesus came to have a relationship with individuals. And literally, we've gotten, in our culture, in American culture, we have completely turned this thing upside down in a bad way to where we evaluate spirituality based on one or two or three services of spiritual motion, and we completely disregard how, whether or not God is changing anybody's life every other day of the week. And that is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to have a relationship that changes me. So you have motion. I'm, I'm not against the motion. I love conversations with people who say I'm against organized religion. I'm not making fun of that. I love those conversations because that's wrong thinking. You know who created organized processes? God did. His creation is full of organization. The home is organized. Church life is supposed to be organized. It's God's idea. But the, the reason so many people are disenfranchised is because so much of church leadership and so many of God's people use the motion as the measurement for spirituality. And Jesus isn't having any observable effect anywhere else in their life. You can come and put money in this offering plate. And go home and scream and cuss at your kids on Monday. You can get down in worship on Sunday morning. And go home on Sunday night. And start looking at things in in private that you know you have no business looking at. You can say 
amen to a point in a message. But then at home on a Thursday, ridicule and criticize and tear down a decision that the leadership made just in the effort to try to do the right thing. You can, you can sign up to be involved in a ministry. You can, man, how about the crowns our nursery workers are getting? Good night. If you talk about, y'all, if y'all ever start feeling sorry for yourselves in here, just ask Miss June and Miss Ann about nursery. Feel free. Some of you guys are like, man, it's just getting crowded in here. Go hang out with 20 babies. Have fun. I mean, you're actually not allowed to, but you can go back there and look briefly. You can, you can sign up. You can sign up, be involved in a ministry. But then you use social media to passively, aggressively take shots at people. And to spread information that is no Body else's business. Jesus didn't come to patch up your life. Jesus didn't come to give you more motion so you would feel less guilty about all the areas that are being neglected. He came to have a relationship. He came to give you a new life. You are a new creature. Old things, we're told in Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Number two, a religious system that pursues public compliance above personal transformation is worthless. Say it again. A religious system that pursues public compliance above personal transformation is worthless. I can't, I can't begin to tell you how passionate I am about this point. Look, I, as a leader, as the pastor, there are, going, there are always going to be certain expectations for certain positions. If I ever hear anybody say, man, man well, what, 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 is ne- what do you have to wear to come to church? You ready? Clothes. And, and I don't ever want to see anybody giving anybody else dirty looks. A guest shows up and they don't look like you're comfortable with them looking. Hey, man, just praise the Lord that somebody's here that can hear about God. But as you, as you increase in leadership or as you increase in influence and position, there are going to be expectations. I'm not sorry for that. I'll make those cases when the time's appropriate. There are different reasons for why we do different things. And I can defend them and I can explain them. And that doesn't mean everybody agrees, but there's not only biblical reasons, there's also logical reasons for them. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. Man, you ought, and you ought to be thankful for that because we don't just let any lady go work in the nursery. We have a vetting process and we have a system set up to protect those babies because when someone drops off their infant or their toddler in that nursery, I believe God holds me first responsible for that. And we don't just let anybody sit back in there and teach a Sunday school class. I'm looking at Miss Megan. Miss Megan has proven herself. Miss Megan didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm here. I'm going to go back and teach that class. No, you're not. 
No, there's a process to these things. And there's a willingness to say, okay, what's the expectation? And what's the standard? On Sunday mornings when we have worship, I'm not ashamed of asking God's people if they're physically able to get on their knees because we ought to be willing to worship God. And the Bible's clear that worship, the act of it, always involves bowing. I'm not ashamed of that. But here's where churches go wrong. They pursue public compliance above personal transformation. Look, I made a promise this morning that I wasn't going to step on any chairs today. I would already be on one. Please, please get this. I believe that God gave us his word in the King James. I believe that. I believe that God created and established the local church. I believe in so many things about music that it ought to reflect the character of God more than it does the culture of the day. I, I, I could go on and on telling you about things that I believe, but you know what I'm not willing to settle for? Pushing amen buttons so you can be excited about something while you go home and have fights. You know what I'm not interested in? pastoring a church that focuses on public compliance but ignores personal transformation with the relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm just not interested in it. I have to, I have to, I have to stand before God and answer for this. And I don't want to stand before him and say, man, God, we had some great numbers. I never preached anything that would actually help people's lives. But man, look, had some good offerings. Had, had a lot of people show up. You know what a lot of people do? And I'm not, I'm really, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to be unkind. But this is what we do. We... We measure ourselves by, and again, I've already told you, there are expectations for leadership and influence and participation in different things. I'm not apologizing for that, but we, we look, okay, I've got this, and I've got this, and, and I check all the boxes, and we use that to measure our spirituality. And your kids probably haven't, can't remember the last time you prayed with them. Can I just, I've said this, I'm not ashamed of this statement. I could care less what version of the Bible you read if you're not letting the truth of Jesus Christ change anything in your life. Oh, does that mean you don't have convictions? No, I already told you I have beliefs and convictions. But the reason I don't stand up here week after week pressing buttons on certain issues that I know would get an amen is because I'm not interested in being content with motion. You know what I want? I want transformation. And if anybody leaves here and says, well, you're, you're compromising. No, I'm not compromising. I, I, I do not believe that. This is what I believe. 
that we have settled for, I wear this, I look like this, I have this, but it doesn't matter what I do on Thursday, and it doesn't matter what I post on my social media, and it doesn't matter how I talk to my wife, and it doesn't matter how I responded to my parents, because I can check off all these boxes, and therefore I am spiritual. Nope, Jesus would say, I didn't come to give another patch to your life, I came to change your life. Can I tell you, I, I kind of got lost on this point. You know, what I, you know what I love about West Valley? I'm really wanting to stand in a chair, Brother Dennis. I really want to. I'm not gonna. You know, what? you know what? You know what I want this place to be? I don't want this place to be the, the greatest evidence of God working. You know what I want it to be? I want it to be where the evidence of God working, where his work spills out into one another. Okay, this is what I mean. I've enjoyed being with Jesus all week, so I'm really excited to get to church on Sunday. He worked on me on Monday. He worked in me on Tuesday. On Wednesday morning when I talked to him and I prayed with him and I opened his word, it was good fellowship. On Thursday night when I couldn't sleep, I had some time just to have some moments with him and he encouraged me and helped me. On Friday, I was just feeling overwhelmed with the weight of how things are going and so much just trying to manage all of this. And yet I had some time with God and a friend encouraged me and it was just good. And so by the time we get to Sunday, I'm not using Sunday to check off my spiritual boxes so everybody can think I'm, I'm religious or I measure up. When I get to Sunday, it's just the evidence of God working because it's just spilling over into what's going on here. You know why it's good right now? Because I believe that's what is typical right now. But we got to be careful. I did not preach this message as though it's everybody struggling with that. But we got to be careful that the motion does not become the measurement for our spirituality. The motion cannot become the measurement of our spirituality. You know what is the measurement of it? My relationship with him. I don't want to be weird about this. And please don't. Please, I'm not trying to make a joke. You know what? And, and I know I have more. But those three kids that were up there singing and that one that was playing, you know what they're evidence of? Two people loving each other. And in a right, godly way, that love spilling over and God bringing new life. You know why God's giving us life here? Because relationship with him is spilling over. We are not looking at this church as the, the motion of it, as the measurement for our spirituality. This is the spilling out of our love for him. So, it's not a license to neglect right religious motion. It's a warning that motion can never be used as a substitute for transformation. So, two questions and I'll be done. Number one, what's different about your life? What's better about your life? What's better about your life? What's different? I love talking to you. I, and as I've gotten to know more and more of you, better and better, you can tell me what's different. And some of you, I've seen it. It's amazing. That, that's not a patch. You know what that is? That's a new garment. That's not new drink. That's a new bottle entirely with new drink in it. 
What's different? What's better about you because of Jesus Christ? You can check the different boxes of motion, but can you demonstrate the evidence of transformation? Do you still gossip? Do you still snap in anger when things don't go your way? Do you still complain about authority? Number two, what kind of church do you want to have? One where motion is a substitute for the transformational power of Jesus Christ? One where the marks of spirituality are measured more by what you wore to church than your attitude when you left your house? Or do you want a church where the motion is a spilling over of love for Jesus Christ and service to him? I don't ever want this motion to be the measurement. I want the motion to be the spilling out of love for him and love for each other. So here's what's possible. It is possible that through the course of living life, just different things can happen. I don't, I'm not even going to take the time to get into that. Different things can happen, and we can let the motion become the measurement instead of motion becoming the spilling out of our relationship with him. If the motion becomes the measurement, you're going to get cynical and critical, and you're going to get burned out. And the church, though it might be full, is going to become increasingly lifeless but when the motion is not the measurement when the motion is the spilling out it's filled with life man brother andrew Patton, do you agree with me on every single thing brother robbie (laughs) you agree with me on every single thing Miss June, Brother Mike, you agree with me on every single thing? Ask my wife. (laughs) Hey, you know why there's life? Why there's evidence of God's life? Because the motion isn't the measurement. It's the spilling out. I just want to make sure we get it tonight. So maybe you just need to make sure, God, don't ever let me replace, don't ever let me replace relationship and transformation with motion. Don't ever let me do that, God. Let the motion be the spilling out of a relationship. And if you're getting tired in the motion, go back to the relationship because it's the relationship that gives you energy for the motion that is right. But don't ever judge people because their motion doesn't look like you think it ought to. You know what they need? They need a relationship. And when God begins to work in their life, their life will get to where it needs to be. Let's pray. Father, no on, on a Sunday evening, it's already, I mean, the day is, it's already long, and just, it's warm, and, and we can be uncomfortable, and thinking about other things that are going on, and God, in a, in a place right now, in a place where there is so much good motion, there is good motion. It's possible to look at the motion and to think, man, that that motion means we're spiritual. But Father, I I don't want us to be people. I don't want to be a Christian, let alone a pastor. I don't want to be one of your children that substitutes motion for a meaningful relationship. 
So God, would you please help us just, even if it's just preventative, and so much of this is, it's preventative. Would you help us to be on guard against motion becoming the measurement? But may motion be the spilling out of relationship and transformation that comes from knowing you. Father, it doesn't mean that the motion isn't right. It just means that the motion isn't meant to measure us. It's a, it's a tool to be used. But you desire relationship that transforms how we live our lives. So Father, help us to be honest and responsive in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around, I do want to ask you to respond to this. Are there areas in your life where you've allowed the motion to become the measurement for your life? And you've allowed your involvement in the motion to justify neglect in the process of transformation in other areas. And maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's with your parents, maybe it's in um, your habits, but you've let the motion become the measurement and you've allowed it to justify neglect of a relationship with him that should transform you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be anyone who'd raise their hands and say, that's me in certain areas. Yep, I see him. You're going up all over the place. God bless you for your honesty. Brother Nate, can you start singing? And let's stand and respond to the Lord.